An important matter playing itself out in the Supreme Court of Appeal currently, where Esau and others are facing off against the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs and others. Um, Esau and seven others are seeking uh, some relief from the Minister uh, in the order declaring that the establishment and existence of the National Command um, Coronavirus Command Council is inconsistent with the Constitution and is invalid. Uh, alternatively, that this Command Council duplicates or supplants functions of the National Disaster Management Center. Um, it acts unlawfully and in a manner inconsistent with the Constitution and the DMA, declaring any decisions taken by the Command Council unconstitutional and invalid, declaring the regulation unconstitutional and invalid. Alternatively, um, you know, specific regulations in, uh, in statutes uh, unconstitutional and invalid or declaring inconsistent and invalid the directions regarding the state of clothing footwear and bedding during alert level form. The government, of course, submitting that uh, they've acted within uh, the rules and um, and that the Cooperative Governance Minister and the National Disaster Management Center went to extraordinary lengths to facilitate inputs on the regulations. Government has contended that the disaster management regulations are constitutionally compliant and procedurally uh, rational. A senior associate at Dingley, Marshall Attorneys, Matthew Thompson, joins me on the line now. Matthew, a very good morning and welcome to the show. Morning, Africa. Thank you for having me. Is the Minister in Government, um, I suppose, right in saying that uh, they went to extraordinary lengths to facilitate inputs on the regulations and therefore they are valid and constitutional? Um, I think maybe just before I address uh, the Minister's uh, sort of rightness or wrongness, I just want to confirm that the the judgment, or sorry, the, the matter that came before the Supreme Court of Appeal yesterday uh, was actually Esau and the seven other applicants' uh, application uh, and appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeal, which sought to overturn the previous judgment which went against them in the Western Cape High Court. Correct. Uh, so as, as things stand, the judgment uh, of the Western Cape High Court on the 26th of June, um, which dismissed the, the applicant's application, uh, has found that the minister uh, the minister acted in accordance with the constitution and the disaster management act um in terms of your question whether or not the minister uh, acted rationally and and has uh, has indeed engaged in the public participation process um you would have seen from my notes uh the minister made reference to public participation which took place over an incredibly truncated time period. Um, there was something like 70,000 uh, uh, bits of public participation which were received. These were summarized within a day or two. Um, and then on the 29th of April, we saw regulations being issued. And this this happened over a period of two or three days. And really, the, the point that, the, that ESAR and the applicants took, both in the Western Cape High Court and in the Supreme Court of Appeal, was that there's no way that the minister in issuing regulations in such a, such a short period of time could possibly have had regard to 70,000 uh, different bits of public participation. Because the impression that that gives, Matthew, is that uh, the minister, of course, and his administration, and her administration, rather, knew what outcome they wanted. So regardless of what those 70,000 uh, submissions would have said or argued against or for, the result was almost predetermined, right? I think that's the 
the impression that one's left with, um, you know, between you and I, I'm not sure if I could get through 70,000 submissions within a day or two. I know, I um, wouldn't be able to. <laughs> the The legislative process is, you know, inherently quite a slow one. So I doubt that uh, a minister could have received these submissions, taken them into account, and then turned her mind to, to drafting the, the regulations which did eventually which were eventually published. Um, so yes, some, you're left with the impression that regulations were, were published and that uh, you know the, the, the public participation process was perhaps more of a, a window dressing or box ticking exercise. Um, I will say that the court did take a, a fairly empathetic approach to the minister's predicament in that uh, she was seized with a, a pandemic of global proportions and in her answering papers and in uh, the, her page of argument, the point was made that uh, these are sort of extraordinary times. There's a need for swift and decisive action. And, uh, you know, perhaps there wasn't time to consider all 70,000 submissions. Um, but that was that needed to be weighed against the public interest in dealing with the disaster as it is. Is it reasonable to expect that the uh, judges in the Supreme Court of Appeal might come to a different understanding, appreciation, than what the Western Cape High Court judges were able to do? Well, look, ultimately the uh, the, the applicants and the appellants were granted leave to appeal um, following the dismissal of the of their judgment uh, on the 26th of June. They did apply uh, to the Constitutional Court for direct access. The court at that stage uh, found that the matter was not, it wasn't yet in the interest of justice to hear it in the Concord. Um, they, they were given leave to appeal in the Supreme Court of Appeal, which in and of itself suggests that uh, a higher court may come to a, a different finding. Um, the, the matter is, is very fresh, if I can put it that way, in that it was only heard yesterday. Um, and uh, I was managed. Uh, I managed to speak to Anton Katz, who was the lead counsel for the appellants in that matter, and uh, he gave me a brief update to to matters which occurred on the day, and that judgment has been reserved. So we can. It's now the third of October. We can probably expect the judgment out of the SCA. Uh, hopefully, by the end of the SCA term, which is November 2020. By which time we would have gone past the current um, extension of the national state of uh, disaster. The uh, president is expected to address the nation within this week. It's a commitment he made when he was responding to questions in the National Council of Provinces last week, saying that he'll be addressing uh, the nation uh, this week. Um, whether or not he'll extend it, um, or rather the Ministry of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, the uh, appropriate ministry, will extend the national state of disaster by another month or not, I suppose only time will tell. I imagine the importance of these arguments, Matthew, are really for a future incident of an administration having to respond to a pandemic because many of the issues that are before the court right now have already passed, right? We're no longer in level four, for example. We are allowed to buy shoes and chicken and all those kind of things. Yeah, so it's an interesting point you raise. Um, in sort of legal terms, it's uh, an argument that the government has raised in various legal challenges, and that's the point of mootness. Um, you know, why are we rushing to court if the regulations themselves have changed? 
and the stance taken by the appellants in the ESOR matter and in others uh, is that the regulations themselves have not been repealed. The, uh, the Disaster Management Act stands. So whereas we might now be seized with, uh, with regulations and under Alert Level 1, uh, that happens to be the latter chapter of the regulations as they stand. The alert levels uh, four, sorry, five, four, three, and two still stand, and in theory, government could at any stage change their mind and move us or you know, one or two provinces or particularly hit areas to a, a to one of the prior alert levels, meaning that, for example, the uh, regulations on exercise could be reimposed if if an area were to be declared a, a different alert level status. So it's not quite moot yet. Um, while those regulations stand, to me, there is an arguable point. Has the government, in your legal opinion, being rational um, and just, I suppose, because that, 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 that becomes an important question, isn't it, in, in approaching, um, uh, I suppose, in the response to COVID-19, doing it in the manner and the way that they have. There have been questions whether or not uh, the the appropriate, well, the act, rather, that has been um, put into place here by uh, the ministry and the administration is an appropriate one because it does allow them to supersede, if you like, the important oversight that parliament affords, where the minister and the administration can make a decision on their own, will extend by another month without actually needing to seek permission from Parliament for any of that decision? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think lack of, pol- lack of parliamentary oversight has been a, a very serious issue over the last few months. Um, and ordinarily, Parliament being the legislative body responsible for the making of laws uh, should have been consulted and should have been able to exercise oversight. Um, as it was, Parliament has been uh, in recess for much of lockdown and obviously unable to to meet and, and discuss these issues. Um, to your question, I think, uh, you know, whether or not the government has been lawful and rational, uh, we we saw a very handy judgment come down uh, in De Beer versus the Minister uh, of Cooperative Governance and Affairs, and that came out of the North Gauteng High Court. Um, that to my knowledge, is the sort of most successful legal challenge that we've uh, that we've seen so far. Uh, that judgment was taken on appeal, and subsequently, uh, the minister has applied for for direct leave to appeal to the SCA. Um, but the crux of that judgment was that uh, in it really focused on the the fundamental human rights or the the, the basic human rights that have been infringed uh, during the lockdown period. And it made the point that government has taken a paternalistic rather than a, a constitutional approach to imposing these these lockdown regulations. So it, it took issue with the fact that government didn't start, didn't take as its uh, starting point the fundamental rights in the Bill of Rights, uh, which, which are common to all South Africans. And we, the government should have started at that point, and then uh, in making the regulation that should have had regard to the constitutional limitations clause and sought only to limit rights um, in a manner which was reasonably, uh, reasonable and justifiable and uh, where there weren't less restrictive means to do so. 
And I think viewing it through that lens, I, I can't see that many of the regulations at which were passed uh, could not have been, um, the rights could have been, uh, the, the, the goal of the legislation, which was, of course, to protect and, and uh, mitigate against the spread of the coronavirus, that could have been achieved through less restrictive means. Um, and that, that judgment sort of pointed government in the right direction, in my opinion. And thank you for sharing it, Matthew. Thank you for waking up early on a Tuesday morning to um, help us make sense of arguments made in the Supreme Court of Appeal yesterday. As you indicated, uh, that matter now has uh, been uh, uh, reserved for judgment, which hopefully will be handed down before the conclusion of this sitting of the Supreme Court of Appeal before the end of November. Matthew Thompson is a senior associate associate at Dingley Marshall Attorneys.